Salabona, and thanks for listening. Welcome to the Wines of South Africa podcast. I'm U.S. Marketing Manager Jim Clark. In each episode, we explore some aspect of South African wine. We talk with winemakers, winery owners, and other members of South Africa's vibrant wine industry, taking in multiple viewpoints on the intricacies and delights of South African wine. This time around, we're not looking at a grape or a region, but at an organization, the Cape Winemakers Guild. Few groups have done so much to raise the level of winemaking in South Africa or created such dynamic programs to bring people from black and other previously disadvantaged communities into the wine industry. Let's start by learning a bit about the Guild's members. My name's Gordon Newton-Johnson. I'm half the winemaker at Newton-Johnson Wines with my wife, Nadia. We are a family-operated winery, very small boutique winery in the Himalanada Valley on the south coast of the Cape Winelands in South Africa. And I've been in that role for almost 25 years now. And about five years ago, I was nominated and chosen to be on the Cape Winemakers Guild. And it's only five years in, but I was asked by Andrea Malinu when she was chair to join her as vice chair, which I was very privileged and honored to do. And with the guild, the vice chairs are almost groomed to take over as the chair. So I've known for the last few years that I'd be taking over this role. It has been pretty much learning the ropes, just seeing how the guild operates, how the committee operates, what the chair does. And it's, it's been a pretty wild two years with Andrea going through COVID because she had to literally rewrite the whole playbook and do it very successfully. She's kept us on the front foot. So I think we're very much healthier for where we are today and hopefully eking out of this pandemic. The main reason for the Guild in the beginning was to improve the winemaking in South Africa, improve the communication, to share ideas, to inspire each other. And out of that, it's evolved into a bit of a brand South Africa, trying to create more relevance for South Africa and South African wines, both locally but also internationally. So our main activity is still getting together, having these inspirational tastings, having these workshops talking about various aspects of winemaking or the industry. That is still the main nucleus. And then beyond that, we have the other activities because of South Africa's circumstances of the past, social upliftment in the industry, trying to help a lot of people in the industry to have better skills. So the offshoot of that is the Protégé program and then the other various programs of what they call Wine Training SA, which reaches almost... 4,000 different employees in the industry. A winemaker would need to be nominated by a member and seconded by another member of the guild to enter into a voting process. And usually that nomination is done quite a few months in advance. And these nominees would then be invited to the guild tastings to come and join the members just to see what the guild is like also for the members just to become acquainted with them if some of them don't know who they are and then we get to the AGM at the end of the year where we would vote to have them in the criteria for a winemaker would basically be excellence having achieved some excellence in their winemaking career over time and having a pretty consistent great track record really they usually say a winemaker should be at least five years in a head winemaking role at any winery but it usually turns out longer than that sometimes it's 15 years most people really only enter the guild once they're in their 40s it's starting to happen a little bit earlier now i think there's so much information that's being shared between winemakers that you're almost finding 
younger winemakers are getting more advanced at a younger age. So I think you'll start to see a lot of younger winemakers coming into the guild's fold. But I think with every member that has nominated and has chosen other members to be on the guild, I think there's always that feeling that your game would be pretty high to make it as everyone would have felt the same in the way they made it as well. It's a pretty stringent process. The membership stays with the winemaker. It's the winemaker that has built up the knowledge and it's the winemaker that brings that knowledge to the guild and shares their insights. So very much based on the personality. In, in the beginning, when it was founded, it was actually called the CIWG, the Cape Independent Winemakers Guild. And that was a reaction to an industry that was controlled by one major player or two major players at that time, but eventually that becomes one, i.e. distill. 80% of volume was handled by one company, and there wasn't a lot of exchange between small independents and big corporates. And so the independence is where the guild started off. And, of course, membership then resided with the property. So if the winemaker moved, he would forego his membership. But over time, I think it was realized that the talent lies with the individual. And if the individual moves, it's expected that wherever he goes, he would bolster and gee up the quality of the new property. To this day, membership resides with the member. And I think that's probably the way to go. My name's Carl Schultz. I'm the cellar master at Hartenberg Wine Estate in Stellenbosch, Western Cape, South Africa. Hartenberg is six kilometers north of Stellenbosch town itself, the oldest town in the country, and right in the heart of the Cape Winelands. The estate itself is first farmed back in the 1690s, and there's been a history of grape growing on and off like much of the Cape for most of that period of time. But the serious producing of wine started after the Second World War in the late 40s and into the 50s and 60s when Hartenberg planted the first Syrah in Stellenbosch and was producing high-end cab as early as the 68 vintage. The estate Syrah is still the longest consistently produced example of the variety in the country. I was fortunate to be invited to the Cape Winemakers Guild in 1997. There were 14 members at the time and had just joined Hartenberg and had spent the first five years here. We had a good run and based on that managed to acquire membership. What's important to remember is that the CWG is unique globally. There are examples of similar organizations, but none of them function on a structured and have the history of the Cape Winemakers Guild. They're actually winemakers who prefer not to be a member of anything. And an extremely talented person like Ivan, who was at school with two of my brothers, he's twice been invited and twice said thank you very much. And he's actually done tastings for the guild, but he prefers not to be a member of any big organization. And so there are many talented individuals that aren't members who either were members in the past. An example would be Andre van Rensburg from Pergelechen or Arby Brevere from Springfield, Martin Minard from Minard Wines. And they then join the guild and at some point feel that their schedules don't allow for all the commitments that are expected of members. And they would then choose to resign. And there's no hard feelings. And so... 
for outside commentators looking in at the list of membership, what they can't see is members that have been members and for different reasons have resigned. Some members have left the industry or they've scaled down or they've retired. And yet other very deserving possible members have declined membership. And we've had examples where the winemaker is very deserving. He certainly is responsible for the wines, but his owner feels it will dilute their focus and they decline membership on behalf of that winemaker, which is sad, but it's their free choice. We're pretty much in a transitional stage right now in that the Guild was started in 1982. And only just recently, we've had a few of our founding members and a lot of our older members retire just in the last five years or so. So there is some fresh blood coming in. And I think it's also instilled a responsibility to a member to almost for themselves to judge when it's time to go, it's time to pass on the torch to a younger person who can come into that role as well. The premise is that you do need to be an active winemaker, an active role in the winery and in the vineyards and still creating wines. There are a number of members that have other roles too at their wineries, MD roles, CEO roles as well, but they all tend to keep in touch with the winemaking. I think it's happened organically that it's getting a lot more diverse. I think the South African wine landscape has changed so much in the last 20, 30 years. The eight members that kind of formed the nucleus of the guilds in 1982 were mostly from Stellenbosch, and that's, you know, Stellenbosch is South Africa's Napa, where it was all centered. But the South African landscape has changed. You've found a lot more areas now starting to specialize in different styles, different wines. The Cape Winelands is very diverse from making excellent bubblies to going more inland and making excellent ports. So you've got a much wider spread, much more diverse spread of different winemakers and specialists and what they do. I'm more there for the cooler climates, maritime climates of the Himalanada and to give my insights on Pinot Noir and Chardonnay mostly. But a lot of other different winemakers with a lot of different skills and a lot more women that have been fed into the industry now as well that are coming through into the Guild too. At the core of the Guild's activities are their monthly meetings, where one of their members presents a tasting of some wines from anywhere in the world that they can claim some special insight on. Members meet once a month. That meeting is in the form of a tutored tasting. Members are tasked to present that tasting two years in advance. We have a program for this year, for example, and there's already a program forming for 2023. So generally, members are given a year to prepare for the tasting, and it's expected that you travel to the subject of your tasting and that you preferably do interviews with those winemakers' wines that you'd intend using, and then, of course, to source the wines. And the, and the whole idea is to get to taste best-in-class globally on a regular basis. There's a really good budget. Nothing stops any member from literally buying the best wines in the world, be it Reichbank, Bordeaux, or Western Australia, Chardonnays or whatever. The expectation from the body membership is that the tastings be of a very high standard, that they be informative, and that members come away there feeling they've really learned something and that they're inspired by what they've experienced. We always finish the tasting with a meal. Whichever region it is, we try and copy the cuisine of that region. So it's often entails involving a top chef 
and it of course helps with lining the the stomach as it were but i've often said to new members as the thing to look out for where you learn the most is the 30 minutes or so before the actual tasting when everybody's relaxed they're drinking a good glass of french bubbly or something and you discuss issues that are relevant at that time through the year be it just after harvest or just before or whatever and everybody tends to just freely exchange and that's where this guild is unique and one must keep in mind they were formed in a time of very heavy sanctions back in the 80s 1982 is the year that the guild was founded by eight members and it was really a need to exchange information to benchmark one's products to network and to try and just get ahead really and and we're cut off from the rest of the world intellectually and from an information point of view and that's where it started but i think once the sanctions fell away that's when the guild really flexed its muscle as it were the membership ballooned we had this absolute resurgence of new talent coming through in the greater industry driven by things like the Swatland revolution this group of 25 year old at the time 35 young guns as it were just uh, well traveled back in the day my day we couldn't travel your passport didn't work that well and so you've got these kids that have done five or six vintages in three years and they loaded with knowledge a lot of that information comes back and it crept into the guild and a lot of new techniques a lot of new philosophy a new way of thinking a lot of innovation and that's essentially what the guild is about to this day i think we're now 46 or 48 members they literally encompass the very best this country has to offer from a winemaking point of view and there's an enormous pool of knowledge intellectual capacity in that grouping I would always tell people it's easy to look in from the outside and question but it takes a lot of hard work and these guys would never cooperate with each other if the interest was about self and that's the great thing about the gilders about my neighbor and the guy down the road and the guy across the valley isn't my competition our competition is australia new zealand the french and so on so i think there's a very refreshing outward looking approach to competition and to business and to standing together for the greater good and you know, and looking at the world as a market rather than across the wall at your neighbor the kills mission to share knowledge extends beyond its meetings and even its membership starting around the turn of the millennium the guild began developing a range of programs that have opened doors created opportunities and improved the quality of life of many people giving persons from black and other previously disadvantaged communities the chance to engage with wine as professionals at even the highest levels by 1999 a chap called Philip Costandios was the chairman of the guild at the time and i think it became clear to us that we needed to look at what we can do to help transform the industry to correct some of the imbalances of the past and that's where a really important step was taken and they've established the Cape Winemakers Guild Development Trust this trust to this day is now one of the three cornerstones of the guild and has had great success it's certainly the only real formalized structured staffed well-funded transformation initiative in agriculture in this country they they lead by far it's actually gone a lot further 
other than identifying individuals and then helping them through their tertiary education through to university or college, they've also got involved in the education of general industries staff. So the Guild looks at the entire industry as part of their field of interest. By 2006, what today is known as the Protégé Programme started to take form, and we've had 24 Protégés complete their three-year internship, and there are 13 currently in the programme. And of those that have graduated, 16 are either holding leading winemaking roles or they have their own winemaking projects and individual private projects. In that way, I think the Guild is unique in that it's involved in this upliftment initiative. It provides mentorship to ensure that the industry standards and also the values of the CWG exceed expectation. We're in the business of identifying new emerging talent helping to mold that talent and to prepare them for the industry that we all strive to make a living from. In 2014, the Guild branched out into supporting a very important wine training initiative called Wine Training South Africa. And they have courses that are CETA accredited. And over a a total of almost 4,000 employees within the industry have participated in the courses between 2015 and 2019, and we've provided about 40 bursaries to promising final year students at Elsenburg College or Stellenbosch University, and they're the only two institutions that offer viticulture, enology, tertiary training in the countries. The Protégé program lies at the center of these many activities, so let's look at it in more detail and from the inside by hearing from a couple former protégés. My name is Gaynor Fredericks. I'm assistant winemaker at Malinio and View Family Wines, also the winemaker for Great Hot Wines. We started this project in the beginning of the pandemic to uplift the employees of Malinio and View Family Wines. The company is basically owned by the employees and all of us are shareholders of Great Hot Wines. I grew up in Marmersbury in the Swatland, so surrounded by vineyards my whole life. So it was quite a blessing to be able to work within the Swatland with Malinieu wines. When I was in school, I wanted to do something different. I loved nature and I always knew I wanted to work outside and not do the same thing every day. Um, so I actually came across this magazine and I saw a winemaker in there and it flipped the switch in my mind. So that's how I got into winemaking. I went to Alsenburg and then I just completely loved the farm life and I stuck to it. (laughs) I think when I went to Alsenburg, I fell in love with the art of winemaking more than I wanted to be in the vineyards. I love being in the vineyards, don't get me wrong. But being in the cellar was just something very close to my heart because no day was the same and just being physically active, jumping up on top of a tank, pulling pipes, that's what I fell in love with. In my final year at Alsenburg, I applied to the program and there was an extensive interview process that you go through 
So I went for an interview and also you do like a psychology type of test to see if you're suited for or if you're ready for what you're putting yourself up for. But it's quite an extensive process. You have to get above average marks <laughs> in your final year and go through this whole process very intimidating <laughs> with a room full of people around the table but i got through it <laughs> i finished my studies in 2016 and after that i went straight into the program it's basically a program for individuals that has not had any winemaking experience or background in winemaking and it's basically a platform for individuals to harness their skills by getting mentorship. Hi, I'm Rutger van Wijk, winemaker at Stockholm Wines in Jonkers Stellenbosch in South Africa and I have another project called Karatara Wines in which we make a Pinot Noir and Chardonnay from across the Cape Winelands. I'm the youngest of three brothers and I used to grow up in the Cape South Coast closest thing there to vineyards is probably cattle, broccoli, and potatoes. My middle brother was the first one actually to go and study winemaking at the University of Stellenbosch. And as a family, we love sports. And usually through my high schooling, we would play a lot of sports in the Cape Winelands, of which we used to go and live with my brother at the winery. At that time, he was still assistant winemaker at Bullen Cellar in Paul. And he used to take me through the winery, show me the different fermentation tanks, the vats, different barrels. We used to taste murky white wine out of the barrel. And I found that very interesting because the whole process of why the wine was all murky in the barrel, but it was so nice and clear in the bottle. So he used to explain it from a scientific point of view. And that actually got me thinking a lot. Back then, South Africa was looking for a lot of teachers because we were short on teaching in the educational program. But I wanted to do something different and combine a whole lot of different things like agriculture, science. I thought that would be very interesting. And that got me into the whole winemaking scenery. So after my high school years, I went to study at the University of Stellenbosch too. And the passion for wine just grew year on year. And I've been in the winelands since my studies. We were basically in our third year ready to approach the industry because at the University of Stellenbosch, you have a six-month internship in your fourth year where you basically placed as an intern at a winery. And at the end of my third year, we were approached by the Cape Winemakers Guild to apply for a bursary, which they provide to help you with your studies. So that was my first interaction with them. I can still remember they had a very nice PowerPoint presentation of drone shots of the Cape Winelands and different winemakers speaking about the unique terroirs. And that was so amazing. And I immediately knew that firstly, as a student, I needed to apply for any bursary that was given. And they said that you'll have the opportunity after that also to apply for the Protégé program. And looking at the people that were before me as Protégés, it was very interesting. People coming from different dynamic backgrounds, not just the Western Cape, all over, all across South Africa, from different cultures, different religions. And that was very inspiring for me. I thought that was like the spirit of Ubuntu where I am there for you are. People probably don't know the whole process, but I can still remember as a fourth year student when we basically had to apply 
to become a protege. That was for me actually the most stressful time because we literally had an interview. I think it was five or six different winemakers in that time. You walk into a room and it's basically like a boardroom of winemakers sitting around you and you're a fourth year student looking up to these winemakers. Andres from Paul Kluwer was there, Franz Nadia, Jan Boland from Frisenhof, I think Louis Stradum from Ernie Els was there, all these big names. And obviously you were intimidated in a way as a young 22, 21 year old boy from the coast. And basically their first question was they sat you down, they made you comfortable and they said, explain to me how you would make this red wine. And they literally plucked out a bottle of red wine from Ernie Els and they put it on the table. And I was like, oh, what a difficult question to explain to the winemaker how to make these wines. There was a criteria. They always kept tabs of your academical history. As a student that really liked to party on my side, that was always a strenuous thing to try and keep my grades up. After that, I was approved and welcomed into the Protégé program. I always knew that I would be an outsider because there's a whole lot of different families. Some families are sixth, seventh generation farmers. I had a few of my mates were in my class that had family farms. So I always knew that I had to work harder. I needed to gain experience from different winemakers, different areas. So that was always in my mind. And the Protégé program for me Although people say it's from previously disadvantaged backgrounds, I already knew from the beginning that it was a massive stepping stone for any young winemaker to work with. I think back then it was 45 members, top class, world renowned winemakers. So for me, it was always a learning school to apply my trade with them and hopefully gain experience that one day I can apply at a winery to be very versatile in different winemaking styles. Once they've been accepted into the program, Protégés spend three years working with different mentors from across the industry. Sometimes the experience even includes the opportunity to work a vintage abroad. I did a three-month internship within the Cape Winemakers Guild Protégé program. I spent my first year at Tukaro with Miles Mossop at the time. My second year I did it at Begrendo with Charles Hopkins. And in my third year I came to Malinue and Liu Family once to work with Andrea Malinue. In your first year of mentorship, you don't really know who's who so then they just put you with someone but in your second and your third year you can actually choose who you want to go to but it's a two-way thing so the winemaker has to say yes I would love to mentor this person and you also need to be willing to go to that person yeah I decided to go to Stellenbosch Durbanville and then the Swatland to get a feel of the different areas within the wine industry in South Africa and also work with different varietals, which Stellenbosch was more cab-based, Durbanville was Sauvignon Blanc-based, and then in the Swatland I worked with Syrah and Chin Blanc. It was a three-year program and uh, we were going to get placed by different wineries each year. I was quite fortunate to be placed by Aubrey at Canoncorp, which is pretty well known for maybe being South Africa's first growth, how we probably say that. And I was very excited because at that very moment, I knew that I had to take this whole winemaking thing serious. I needed to prove myself. And the only way um, becoming a very good winemaker is learning from the best. And I was 
Very stoked to work with Aubrey at Canon Corp, the guy specializing in Bordeaux varietals and Pinotage. And I think for every South African winemaker, as a student, you always dream of settling down in Stellenbosch and making some Bordeaux wine or Cabernet in Stellenbosch. It's very beautiful. That was my first day as intern, and I learned a lot, especially being focused. We always still joke, me and Aubrey, that I think that year taught me a lot of discipline. We were doing pijage or punch dance every two hours. There was not a lot of sleep during harvest. A lot of drinking of wine and a little bit of coffee and water. Getting up early in the mornings, working until late. And that just taught me a lot of appreciation for the industry and working with farm workers and people that has been there for generations. That was my first year. And then in my second year, we basically could choose or identify a wine farm because we got the opportunity to make a wine in our second year. That wine will be auctioned in our third year as proceeds to the Protégé program. As a young winemaker, you always wanted to broaden your horizons. For me, I was a first-generation winemaker. I don't have a lot of experience. I didn't have any friends or family members that were in the industry, so I was quite new. So I already knew that I needed to broaden my horizons. Because we were making a lot of red wine from Canoncorp, I needed to tap into the white winemaking side of things. And I wanted also to move out of Stellenbosch and learn different terroirs, different areas. And I chose Durbanville as a cool climate area. And I wanted to apply my trade to Sauvignon Blanc. I chose Natida. They were more than welcoming to accept my working or internship at the winery. I think they're probably like a 10th or 15th in size than Canon Corp. They were more focused on small boutique wineries making top quality Sauvignon Blanc and white blends. In 2015, we got the opportunity through the Cape Winemakers Guild to go and do a harvest in Burgundy. It was an amazing opportunity, amazing experience. I always tell young winemakers or protégés, if you have the opportunity to go to Europe, please go. That's where your love and passion for winemaking comes really through and you learn all the intricacies of history. I think Burgundy wine has been made there for over, what, a thousand years by monks. So just to hear all those stories, to see the culture, we were basically drinking wine 24-7, eating baguettes and different kinds of cheeses. So they gave me an amazing opportunity. I think we were there for about eight to ten weeks, of which the Burgundian harvest was four or five weeks. And after that, we were in the Champagne region for a week, and then we went on to the Rhone in Chateauneuf. And uh, the week after, we went to Bordeaux, Margot and saint Steph. And I actually think the younger protégés now probably are going to different areas, the Loire and areas as such. It was amazing. And uh, there I also gained a lot of experience working with Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, of which I have my own project now that I'm making Carataro, also Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. I mentored the very first protege of the program way, way back. I think it was 06. His name was Quinton. And subsequently, we've probably mentored, and I say we, because what I've realized is mentoring on paper means the winemaker member of the guild is the figurehead, but it takes a whole team of people at your place of employ to nurture and to guide to develop that talent. So my long-standing winemaker of 19 years, Patrick Ngamani, is one of the first young black qualified winemakers to join the industry way back. His assistant 
Eloise and the whole crew in the cellar are involved in the mentoring altogether because what we've also realized, it's not just the professional side of mentoring, but it's also life skills, it's etiquette, wine appreciation, building confidence, skills in presentation, skills in selling. So at Hartenberg, we get them to cycle through vineyard, cellar, and sales. And we've been very fortunate that some of what we've put in has come back. Our current assistant winemaker was a product of the Protégé program. And Eloise has been with us for four years now, and she will be leading us at the end of the vintage. And it's very possible that she'll be replaced by a younger protege going forward. She has very good new possibilities post-vintage, and that's exciting times. But we've had, I think, in total four or five protégés over the years. During your three years, you actually get to do life skills training. We do courses. And then also we have business management classes focused on wine business management and technical tastings with the mentors and you see how they think of stuff. And it really helps you to get into the habit of tasting more technical, but definitely life skills and business management was very important during the three years. It happened naturally for me to stay in the Swartland. I didn't know what I was going to do after the, the program. So it happened unexpectedly for me to stay in the Swartland. I'm very glad I stayed in the Swartland. So many things to explore in the Swartland and I've been living there for my whole life and I'm still exploring the Swartland. So yes, very happy to be there. It's definitely challenging, but we make it work. It's always a team effort. Being it on the Malinu and Liu side or being it at the Great Heart side, it's always a team effort. And yeah, if you enjoy what you do, then you do it. There's no backing down or getting tired. Being part of the Prodigy program really helped me to apply to the industry, if that makes sense. And it steered me in a way because I got a piece of Miles, I got a piece of Charles, I got a piece of Andrea. So it pushed me in a way where I can think, okay, this is how I want to do it. And this is how I can put all of those three mentors together and create something that I want to do. Working or having the experience from the Cape Winemakers Guild Project Program Having the experience in Burgundy taught me a lot. I think the fine line going through the Winemakers Guild and Burgundy and working with top producers is everyone's focused on making top quality wines. I think quality is always the most important thing. And that is also what we try to do at Star Conde. No matter what the cultivar is, we always strive and make quality wines. This is going to be my seventh harvest, I think, with Star Conde. So actually, amazing story. After we finished in Burgundy and France, I got the permanent position as assistant winemaker at Star Conde Wines. That was an amazing feeling, just arriving back from France, starting a new project, having a permanent job which I always dreamt of working in Stellenbosch. And this is probably my eighth vintage now at Stark Conde. It's probably my fifth vintage now as winemaker. We are going to harvest our first fully certified organic harvest this year for 2022. 
I think that also played a massive influence coming from France, seeing all these biodynamic and organic producers. The wine styles were just of purity and on another different level compared to conventional farming. And luckily, we had the opportunity to convert to organic farming here at Stockholm too. We're based in the Yonkersuk Valley, which has beautiful terroir, beautiful soil, decomposed granitic soils with great clay that actually maintains a lot of moisture and it makes it perfect for growing top quality carbon in Silvio. Our elevation goes from about 300 feet to about 1,200 feet with several different aspects. So it's a true definition of terroir. We specialize in focusing on making top quality carbon in Sovio. We make three different versions of carbon in Sovio on the estate. And why I'm saying this is that actually gave me the opportunity to work with Pinot Noir and Chardonnay for my own project. And it gives me the opportunity to actually source from different areas. So the thinking there is a little bit different for Karatara. The wine of origin is Western Cape. And my thinking is trying to change the narrative because we have so much freedom in South Africa. Why not try to embrace that? We have really beautiful different terroirs for Chardonnay, Stellenbosch, Elgin, Yemen and Arda, Overberg, giving different styles. And I wanted to embrace those different areas and choosing unique sites that I can combine and blend together. And likewise for Pinot Noir too. I wanted to portray a little bit of my personality. I wanted to be a bit more inclusive of different generations, different cultures. Sometimes wine can be intimidating, especially drinking Pinot Noir. I wanted people to understand the varietal and just bring it back to basics on making it enjoyable, drinkable, and people who can celebrate with their friends and families and just create memories. Karatara is a small village close to George where I grew up in the garden route. Garden Road is a beautiful area. For me, it's almost like the coast of Santa Barbara on the West Coast, full of beach life, beautiful forests. And I wanted to bring a little bit of my story. So it actually means deep, dark shadows in Khoisan, which is actually my ancestral heritage. I'm from a long chain of Khoisan bloodline. So you have the area where I grew up, you have the culture, you have the heritage and I want people to experience the, the beauty that South Africa actually has in its diversity. During the Cape Winemakers Guild, I think I've gained a lot of experience working with different varietals, different ways of thinking from winemakers. And that was always my idea. And coming from a sporting background and loving sports, inherently I've always been competitive, but don't tell a lot of people that. So it was always my goal. You see these winemakers from the Guild and you hear the numerous accolades and reviews and ratings that they have. Sometimes you just call them rock star winemakers. So it's always been my goal to one day also achieve that. And actually in 2018, I became the first person of color to win Diners Club Young Winemaker of the Year for South Africa which was for me a personal highlight in my short career. I don't always like to talk about things like that. The marketing team always tells you to mention that to all the clients and trade and people and consumers. <laughs> all of these programs require a lot of organization and funding, which can mean quite a time commitment for people who also have wine to make. At the center of it all is the Guild's most prestigious event, the Cape Winemakers Guild Auction. It's driving transformation in agriculture in South Africa. There is nothing quite like it. It happens to be in the wine industry, but it's structured, it's well-funded. There's a board of trustees. One of the trustees is an actual fact, a past protege. She's the general manager at a wine company at the moment. 
that we have somebody from one of the big four banks in South Africa who's involved in managing the trust. We have somebody from one of the wine controlling bodies in the country. And then, of course, Chuck Ward, Louis Stradom, who's the chairman of the trust, and he's done a sterling job. He's at Ernie Els Wines. He heads up that group of companies, and he's done a sterling job in managing the trust overall. It's something that's gathered momentum over time, and as news got around, we've got more and more funding from different entities. And this is where the charity auction and other events through the year also play a big role. This year, for example, there will be a protege program auction held specifically with the protégé's wines. So they've been allowed to make their own wines at the properties they're being mentored, and those wines will be auctioned off. And there's a split between part going to the protégé and the balance going to the development trust. One is only able to do what you have funds for, and it's something that's steadily gained momentum, and there's some really proud examples of this really working, and that it's not just window dressing. The Cape Winemakers Guild auction, which it's been quite difficult for us over the last few years with COVID, but it is our main fundraising mechanism for us to be able to put on things like the Protégé program and Wine Training SA. The two auctions are split, so the Protégé auctions involve a lot of private wines from the members, not necessarily wines made for the Guild, but other wines older vintage wines that they've made in the past and perhaps are not that freely available anymore and very valuable. That helps to raise funds for the protege program. And then the proteges themselves, they get to make wines in their second year during their internship and, and bottle those wines. So they also auction those wines off for the funding of the protege program. And then we get into the main part of the Cape Winemakers Guild auction, which is all the different wines that the winemakers have made exclusively for the guild. And these also helps to fund the guild itself, to fund the tastings, to fund all the activities that the winemakers have to do and all the other events that we would hold outside of the auction. The wines that we usually make for the auction, they're all pretty low volume. So usually a member can admit two wines into the auction and usually the volumes are anywhere between 30 to say 50 cases of six for each member. And those would be divided up into the lots depending on the auctioneer and how they would like to conduct the auction. These wines have to be exclusive. They're never sold anywhere else. There's no kind of other secondary market for these wines. And we encourage the members to really go full out and try to do something special. It's it's sometimes trying to make a cuvee of wine within a cuvee or, or go into a single vineyard and find a specific part of that that might be very interesting. It also gives the winemakers a little bit of freedom to experiment or to show something different or something innovative that they're working on. It's been a very South African contingent that buys most of the wines, but we've increased through COVID actually of just being a bit more accessible, having been forced to change the auction from a live auction to an online auction. It's made it a lot more accessible. We do some overseas tastings, a number of tastings within Europe to promote the wines. We go out to Hong Kong. I think we've been out to Japan before. I think we might have done a couple in the U.S. And that's just trying to get exposure and trying to encourage foreign buyers. And they would be, at the moment, roughly about 30% of the volume of buyers now on the Guild. And now as we're coming out of the pandemic, 
want to get back to doing a real calendar event for the auction, but to keep it online and to really open it up to the rest of the world and continue to spread the message and hopefully find more people out there. You do have your mix of private collectors that just buy for themselves. You do also have a number of people from the trade that will buy these wines, especially a lot of the foreign buyers would have their own retail outlets wherever they are and then would put the wines up for resale. But it's also changed quite a bit. It used to be very trade heavy in the past. And I think it's much more interesting now having a lot more private collectors. Those are the ones that really have loyalty to the guild and, and to the different members that they support and I think make the auction a lot more exciting. Going online has opened up a new audience for the auction and during his time as chair, Gordon hopes to continue getting the guild caught up on what the online world and social media can do for the guild and its mission. Most people in the wine industry, sometimes I think we're bad communicators, especially when it comes to social media and, and just digital marketing and I think we've probably missed the plot there, I think, for a number of years, and I think we need to catch up. So I think what we need to do is vastly improve our messaging and our communication to people out there, not just to the people that buy our wines, but just out there explaining what the Guild does, what the Guild is, and having things like the Protégé program, which has been going since 2006, but our charity programs going since 1999 which given all the problems that South Africa has had to endure, I think our obligation to help people with social upliftment, I think we've got a great message and a real blueprint to show to the wine industry in the rest of the world of how to go about it and how to really give back to people and, and help to uplift them. Getting the message out is important, and ultimately, it's likely that organizations like the Cape Winemakers Guild, with dynamic programs that bring in people from black and other previously disadvantaged groups, are having an impact not just on the quality of South African wines, but on the spread of wine culture more broadly throughout the country. I think we have a massive problem in our country historically, and I'm looking just at simple commerce. We're a white-dominated industry in a white minority country, and our consumption figures are some of the lowest around. We've seen in sport, once we had a black Springbok captain and we had players of color getting into the highest standards of sport in rugby, then you're embraced by the majority of the folk in this country. So a lot of people complain in the past, yes, we can't get South Africans to get to know wine and to enjoy wine more. But I have a funny feeling that when those faces arrive at the highest levels, that's when an awareness will come about, where we eventually develop a healthy wine culture in this country. And I think it's very possible that it'll just take time. But before that can happen, the industry must do a number of things to help that process along. Right now, I have a young black lady from Limpopo. Limpopo is the furthest point on the map in this country from the Cape. It's 2,000 kilometers away. And there is absolutely no wine industry up there. The lady's name is Musima, and she is just an absolute delight, very passionate. It took one teacher in a grade at school to explain to the class on a certain day that they were looking at agriculture, and the teacher had once visited an estate in the Cape and then told the story of how wine is made. And, of course, then the links made back to biblical times that it's an ancient profession steeped in history. And that's all it took. And she literally packed a suitcase, 
boarded a train and three days later arrived at the station in the Western Cape once she had got admitted to Stellenbosch University. And we also have a lady that finished last year, Tabile Sele. She did her second year internship with Hartenberg and she's now joined Andrea Malinu at Malinu Wines for her final year. And Tabile is from far northern KwaZulu-Natal, which is bordering Mozambique and was raised by her grandmother, didn't have parents to raise her, and also just one or two lessons referring to wine, and that's all it took. And you know, there's some amazing stories that these kids come from no background uh, regarding wine and the culture of wine, but I think once you come to a place like Stellenbosch and you're surrounded by vineyards, and these beautiful mountains, and you start to understand terroir and why the ocean and the mountains are important. And of course, if you're a student, you'll get to know about wine in Stellenbosch. Then I think it's just a complete revelation. So it's exciting for us too to see people that can't claim heritage. Like myself, I come from a teetotaling family, and I remember the very first wine I ever drank that I remembered and found extremely pleasant. You'll never forget that. And that's all it takes. And it's exciting. I think both these ladies are destined for great things. And it's got a great backstory because they literally come from nowhere. There's no legacy. There's no bloodlines. There's nothing. It's all on their own bat. And it's quite remarkable because I can just imagine how intimidating it must be to travel on your own by train halfway across the country and arrive not knowing anything about where you're going other than that there's university in a town. And then to immerse yourself takes enormous courage. So these are people that are extremely determined. They're bright. They fly through university or through college. And I find it exciting. If we must transform an industry, and, and our country needs transformation in many fields, would we rather not have people that are fully qualified, they're passionate about their field of study, they're qualified, and they are bright, and they're going to be ambassadors for the country. And so there's no doubt in our minds as the Guild that this is the only way to go. I hope you enjoyed this look at the Cape Winemakers Guild. You can find more information and links to the Guild and the producers we talked to at our website, wosa.us. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends, or better yet, Go to the platform where you found it and leave a review. That will help more people discover it and discover South African wines. In our next episode, we're going to do what we've been dying to do for the past two years. Go to South Africa. Well, not literally, unfortunately. But we are going to talk about visiting the South African winelands, how to make the most of it, and why it's an experience you'll never forget. I hope you'll join us. (laughs) 